May all grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, our first reading, as I mentioned before, from Acts chapter 1, will serve as the basis for our meditation this morning. It said that test pilots have a litmus test for evaluating problems. When they're up in the aircraft and something goes wrong, the first thing they do is they ask themselves, is the aircraft still flying? And if the answer is yes, well, then they determine that, that there's no need to overreact or to make a course correction because if they do so, they might, uh, you know, kind of make things worse for themselves. So there's a story about Apollo 12 and how when it launched for the moon, soon upon launch, it was hit by lightning. And all of a sudden, the entire console inside the spacecraft lit up with red and orange glowing lights, indicating all kinds of problems. And their immediate reaction was to do something, to do something quickly. But then they stepped back and they asked themselves this very question. Are we still heading in the right direction? And the answer was yes. The Apollo 12 was still on the proper trajectory towards the moon. So they let the lights glow softly in the background as they went about individually addressing the problems. And after a while, they quietly watched the orange and red lights blinking out one by one. Former U.S. Navy captain and uh, Apollo astronaut Captain Alan Bean said this. This is something to think about. If your thing, if your craft is still flying, then think first and then act. If you think about it, that's a pretty good approach to take when you're facing a crisis. What exactly is a crisis? Well, crisis is a time of intense difficulty, of trouble, of uncertainty, sometimes danger. It could be an economic crisis, a health crisis, a, a food crisis, or dare I even say, a faith crisis, which is kind of in a way what the early Christians are facing in our reading from Acts 1 today. Only they're not known as Christians yet, yet, but they are still believers. They're known as the way, and they are most certainly in a time of uncertainty. So these believers, these apostles that, who Jesus had appointed, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon, or Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, these apostles were told by Jesus to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had come down and given them power. So here today, yet again, they're in an upper room. I don't know what it is with this upper room, but they're up there again. And they're probably frustrated. Perhaps they're, they're locked up in this upper room frustrated because they saw the resurrected Jesus and they had a glimmer of hope again, an expectation that this resurrected Jesus was now going to begin the restoration of Israel. Earlier in the chapter in verse 6 in, in Acts 1, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And their hopes now are strained as Jesus answers them in this way. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then Jesus reminds these apostles that they will receive the power that was promised when the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And that they themselves will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then what happens to them? Right before their eyes, 
Jesus is whisked away up into the sky. <laughs> you know, here they are. What are you talking about? An emotional roller coaster. First, they have three years of Jesus' ministry on earth with them. Then Jesus is executed right before their eyes. And then they find the empty tomb only to find him resurrected again. And then they have time with him for, for 40 more days. And then right before their eyes, he's whisked away from them. You know, as one commentary I read put it, one of the marks of a crisis is when things don't exactly go the way that you expect them to. So not only the apostles and probably many others frustrated, but they, now they have, they've been told they have to wait. And who really likes waiting? Honestly. Get stuck after a long week on I-4 in traffic with other people who have to wait. And this can be very frustrating. Go to Publix these days and wait in a long line only to find out you still can't find toilet paper by the time you get in the store. Go to the doctor's office and wait well beyond your appointed time. Waiting, waiting. Waiting can be extremely intolerable and insufferable. But Jesus told them to wait for what God had promised them. The promise that the Holy Spirit was coming to give them power. And you know, that's something that's worth waiting for, for sure. But I wonder if the apostles would be like us and probably think, how long, God? How long? How much longer do I have to wait? You know, and then, of course, amidst their waiting and their frustration, there is this issue of leadership. Think about it. Jesus had led them for the past three years, led them in studying Scripture, taught them, provided for them, showed them how to do things, and now Jesus is gone from their sight yet again. Who's going to be there to do these things for them? Who will become their leader? And then on top of all that, their current number is only 11 after what happened to Judas, or what, I rather I should say after what Judas had done, and he's now vacated his spot. Jesus had originally commissioned 12, and there's only 11. So the apostles themselves aren't even whole. Things aren't what they once were. So what are they going to do? You know, frustration, waiting, and a transition in leadership sounds to me like the certain uh, earmarks of a crisis, for sure. And for a fledging group of believers, fresh from the ever-evolving events that just took place, uh, it might be easy to do something, to act immediately, to overreact and overcompensate. So what is this group going to do now? Well, honestly, they start with the only course of action they have left. They pray. They pray constantly, as Luke emphasizes. Depending on what version you're reading, if you're reading the ESV version, uh, Luke tells us that they devoted themselves to prayer. If you read the NIV version, Luke tells us that they prayed constantly. Point being is that they were praying. We don't know how long they prayed. We're not even sure what they were praying about. Just that they themselves were devoted to prayer. And then somewhere along the way, during the course of their prayer and their time together, something happened. Something led Peter to stand up before a large group of people numbering about 120 persons and address the issue of bringing the number of apostles back to 12 again. He quotes Scripture as the basis for the process of fulfilling that vacancy left by Judas. Why, though, does Peter, amidst all this, decide that now's the time to do this? Well, you know, it would appear on the surface, at least in the midst of this crisis, 
But Peter feels the need to do something, to act immediately. And if you know anything about Peter, you know that that's just kind of his nature. He kind of goes about doing things right off the bat. I remember, I remember the, you remember the, the scripture story about the transfiguration of Christ when they were up on the side of the mountain and, you know, Jesus changed. Peter was staying there. What did Peter want to do immediately? He wanted to put up housing for them all to stay in. That's Peter. Peter wants to act immediately. So Peter goes about laying the groundwork for replacing Judas. As he addresses the crowd gathering, he talks about Scripture being fulfilled. And of course, right in the middle of what he's talking about, Luke then interjects. Luke wrote Acts, and he interjects right in there, and he gives all the gory details of what happened to Judas. And then Peter goes back on uh, and takes up the mantle of telling all of this uh, Scripture story. And Peter quotes the books of Psalms. And what does he say? He says, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Now on Peter's defense, it sounds like this is a shaky defense for going about fulfilling uh, or why they're going to fulfill Jews' spot. As these quotes from Psalms were actually referring to the tax on King David, and then ultimately they were about a tax on God and what Jesus was later going to face uh, in, in his earthly ministry here. But perhaps, we need to step back and look at it this way. Perhaps Peter quotes it not so much as a defense for why they're going to proceed with fulfilling the Judas you know, uh, vacancy, but as a way to help put all this behind them. Yeah, you know, King David was betrayed, but so was Jesus. Jesus was greater than King David. And yet, if you think about in these terms, Jesus never vacated his office. The apostles, however... Um, are left shorthanded, and they have a void that they need to fulfill to make them whole again so that they're numbered properly as Jesus had originally appointed them. And why did Jesus appoint them that way? Well, Jesus told them in Luke 22 that they would sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they have to be made whole again to confront this. But why now? Why proceed with this now? Perhaps that's what they were praying about in the upper room when they were praying constantly. Maybe they were asking God, what do we do while we wait? How do we handle things, God? Maybe their hopes weren't really dashed after all, as if they asked themselves a question, are we still heading towards the restoration of Israel? And maybe they answered that question and answered themselves, yes, and then went about doing the things they can work on in the meantime, troubleshooting, if you will. So Peter lays out then the qualifications for what things should constitute what they're looking for. And they come up with two names, Barsabbas and Matthias. And yet, when they had these two names, based on the qualifications they were asking for, they didn't rush right in and just choose one of them, did they? No, what did they do yet again? They prayed. They went about praying about it. They prayed some more. And they said, you, Lord, you who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And then what did they do? They cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was selected. Now remember, at this point, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Casting lots was an old Jewish way of, of divination, of, of, of divine chance, of, of letting God show the people of whom he was going to pick. And you know, this is what happened. 
Matthias was chosen. Here's the irony of it all, though. We never hear anything more about Matthias outside of this. For that matter, we really don't hear a lot about any of the other apostles as well, aside from Paul and then Peter. And Paul at that point wasn't an apostle. More irony? Paul's the one who's elected to take up by Jesus himself, to take up the mantleship of leadership, the mantle of leadership and move them forward. And we know that um, the apostles will eventually get the Holy Spirit. And we know then that we are still heading towards the restoration of Israel. So here we are today, in the midst of a crisis ourselves, if you think about it, both individually and collectively as a group. We're in a health crisis with this COVID-19 pandemic, which has also spurred an economic crisis, as many have lost their jobs because of it, which has also spurred on a food crisis as we have food shortages because of it. And, you know, we're asked to wait. We're asked to proceed cautiously with what we're doing. And yet the reaction tends to be during these times, act, do something, open everything back up, right? Reopen the churches, reopen this, reopen that. We get it. But yet there's no playbook for this. We're all facing this together. And it's frustrating. And it's easy to lose sight of the promise that we have received from God the promise of life, of a new Jerusalem, of one day of this being restored, of all the problems going away. We can easily have a faith crisis amidst all that's going on. Maybe we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, are we still heading towards the restoration of Israel? The answer is yes. We should fix our sights on God and realize that He is still and always in control. And then let us take the only course of action we have and do what the apostles did. Pray continuously. God hears our prayers. He always provides for us. We should be praying about what God would have us do during these times for guidance and everything. And you know what else? Amidst the uncertainty that we're facing with this pandemic right now, we at Ascension are also in a time of transition, of leadership transition. We're in the process of searching for a new pastor. And yet the call committee is hard at work, praying and working diligently during this process. Our M&M council is still trying to fill vacancies on the council as well, while also working and praying, and, you know, working diligently along the way to try to keep things going. The staff as well continue to work hard and safely and prayerfully. And maybe, you know... Um, We may be without a shepherd, but we're not, really. Jesus hasn't hasn't left or left anything vacated. He hasn't vacated His power, dominion over all creation. He's still out in front leading the way through all this. He's with us, having filled us with the Holy Spirit in our baptisms. Being with us in Scripture and in sacraments. Still teaching us and showing us how to do things, even in the darkness of the world. Pray that we devote ourselves to prayer, to Scripture, to being as one in the body of Christ, to leaning on God for what we should do while we wait. You know, and even if we mess up, make the wrong choice per se, uh, we can be confident that God can use and will use any situation for the good of His kingdom. His plans, thankfully, are not contingent upon us. 
Yes, my friends, we are still heading towards the restoration of Israel. With Jesus as our head, we will reach the promised destination because God is in control. And to God be all the glory. Amen.